Hey everybody and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast where every week, post-service, post-weekend, post-sermon, we dive in deeper and hopefully give you, our listener, a guidepost in your midweek to help you further connect with Jesus for life change. I am your host, J.P. Gaylord, pastor of media and production here at Redemption. And today we have with us Josh Tovey. Here we go. Danny Turner. What's up? And Justin Kemmer. Back again. So uh, we're going to be unpacking uh, Exodus 19, uh, the sermon from this past Sunday. Uh, So let's dive in and see what God has for us. Welcome to The Post. So we need to go back and address something because uh, Justin said something at the end of the service, not this past week, but two weeks ago that made me so angry I haven't even been able to talk about it until now. Anger. Angry. There was anger? There was anger. Uh, I'm still working through it. You had said that the only appropriate time for Christmas music was after Thanksgiving. Is that correct? Uh, That's a matter of fact. (laughs) I think there might be some people who who would disagree with that. Uh, We have had numerous discussions about this in the office. Uh, Josh, would you care to weigh in? Yeah, my personal opinion is after Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving? Wait, you said December. Well, after Thanksgiving. So the Friday after Thanksgiving, I'm ready for Christmas. I'm all in with the Christmas music. Okay, so we have two votes for Thanksgiving. Danny, Mm -hmm. are you going to leave me hanging? Uh, Yeah, it's a December thing. It's a December. After Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving. Oh, man. So where are you at, JP? What's, uh, what's your rationale? I No rationale except I love Jesus, uh, and I love thinking about the fact that he came to live among us, so I like Christmas music. Now, to clarify, for me, the Christmas music I like to listen to is more of the Christmas carol type, so you are getting kind of some of those references to Jesus rather than like the Michael Buble stuff. The jazzy stuff. I want Mr. Crosby. That's what I want at Christmas. That's good. Yeah. Give me the old school, like 50s, 60s kind of jewels that are out there with the Christmas music. For that kind of stuff, I will agree. Uh, Coming into Thanksgiving, I'll probably start the jazzy Christmas stuff Mm -hmm. a little bit before Thanksgiving. Uh, But even then, for me, it's like just, it's the seasonal. You're getting into the, the fall is starting to leave. Well, it's Michigan, so mm-hmm. you, you never know what season you're going to get. But I don't know. It's just that kind of nostalgic feeling. I'm willing to play it before Christmas. I'm just saying. You're allowed to do that. Yeah. You are your own man. But you're outvoted here three to one. Here's, so, here's what I have to assume about anybody who starts listening to decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving. Before he says this, he seems and talks like a Scrooge a little bit, doesn't he? No, (laughs) no, it's just, like I said, it's just, it's just a matter of fact. It's known that it's science post Thanksgiving. I'll even give you Thanksgiving night. Camera tradition. Thanksgiving night is normally home alone. Uh, That's where, that's where we start Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving night. But I mean, what are you going to do November 1st? You know, start listening to I'll be home for Christmas. How about being home for Thanksgiving? and not just coming home for the gifts at Christmas. So I can only assume that if you're starting in November, celebrating Christmas, listening to music, that you are just an ungrateful consumer. How about some Thanksgiving? How about we give thanks for what we already have before we go wanting for one holiday at a time. 
But can can exactly. I just be thankful for Jesus? I mean, I that seems like the the ultimate Thanksgiving. No, I think that's just a religious answer. You know. <laughs> Man. All right. Uh, so you brought it up uh, with Christmas movies. Is there a difference between Christmas movies and Christmas music? Can you start watching Christmas movies earlier than listening to Christmas music? To me, it's all the same. Like I have it in the same camp. I would say, though, like my brother and his family, they start all November 1st. All the movies start. All the music starts. It happens November 1st. So that would be today, right? But I'm in the same camp to where I think I forget to get through Thanksgiving meal at least, and then we can turn the, turn the page over to the excitement of Christmas. Yeah. I just think everybody's doing it wrong. It should be on the back end. Instead of, hey, November Christmas season, let's carry it over into January. Uh, you like the Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Well, they weren't singing until Jesus came. So let's show some celebration and some heart still for Jesus come January instead of November when we should just be giving thanks. I don't know if this is coming through in the audio, but there is a significant amount of animosity <laughs> in Justin's <laughs> voice and his look right now. Hey, I, I might be a quiet guy, but, you know, I still have some strong opinions. He does have some strong opinions, <laughs> and you just hit the number one area in his life. <laughs> Wow. Uh, you know, I heard some good uh, uh, sermons about idolatry. Uh, is, is it a possibility, Josh, that Justin is holding on to this conviction as, as an idol? Mm. You know, I you're going to say he, no because he, you agree with him, aren't he you? He was pretty worked up there, but, you know, I do back his opinion, you know, even though it was a little forceful, but that's okay. So I don't, I don't think it's an idol. I think there's, like I said, science that backs this, that backs this up. <laughs> When in doubt, science. Science. And Danny, I've just got to admit, I feel a bit betrayed for whatever reason you seem to lead me to believe that you might have a different answer to all this. Dude, I don't understand what about my words or tone of voice would lead you to believe that I'm for Christmas the way you are. Danny, it, but what's your, what's your statement to Josh about pumpkin spice? Oh, pumpkin spice is, it's delicious. Mm. It's the number one selling drink at Starbucks. I think. Well, if Starbucks tasted good at all, I would go. I'm just saying, but man, since it's like a global phenomenon. Good, none of it's good. Yeah. Anything pumpkin's gross. Well, I'm going to have to ask you guys to hold off on the pumpkin debate yeah. because we'll get into that probably closer to Thanksgiving and whether pumpkin pie should be a thing or not. Uh, we won't spill the beans yet, but. Uh, gross. I, I may have a strong opinion about that one, too. The beans have been spilled. I don't I'll want wait. turkey I'll either. Wait. We can talk about Thanksgiving later. All right. Well, we could go on for hours uh, probably about this, unfortunately. But let's dive into uh, some more spiritual stuff. Josh, you just preached a sermon yesterday on Exodus 19. And as we usually do, uh, I'm going to ask you to do the rundown, give you about two minutes to summarize the story, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, so we're kind of finishing up our series this past week, Divine Enigma, and looking at Exodus chapter 19, where the Israelites, seven weeks after they uh, crossed the Red Sea, are now in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and they are don't know what they're doing. They're following the Lord in faith, but Moses goes up the mountain a bunch of times in the book of Exodus, seven or eight times. He comes down from the mountain to share a message where God really speaks to the identity of the people. And what we really see, the, the piece, the theme we brought out was just God's loyalty really being on display. And um, it's very evident in, in how he cares for his people and what he wants them to know about him. And so we see in the story, he reminds them of, 
of their identity in him. And he then says, I'm going to come down to the mountain because I want the people to be able to hear me talk to Moses. And so what a frightening experience like that would have been in Exodus 19. And God sets the limits of what that looks like. And the reason he gets to set the limits is because he is the God of holiness, right? So he dictates how he is approached. And so we see him lay out all these kind of ground rules, right? From um, really uh, being cleaned and don't touch the mountain, don't come up the mountain or I will stone you or shoot you, he says, right? And so, but he says in three days, I'm coming down. And so I don't know what the buildup was like for those people, but that's pretty frightening. But the day comes and there is thunder and lightning and there is um, clouds and there is black smoke and there is the whole mountain being on fire. The mountain trembles, the people tremble in fear. Moses brings the people up to the mountain base to meet their God. And uh, what a frightening experience it would have been. Um, I'm sure it's an event they never would have forgotten in their in, in their entire life. And so, but that that's kind of the quick story as we as we look at as we really pushed hard on just God's loyalty to us and just talked about uh, the different avenues that we see that playing out in this story. Excellent. Uh, well, we we also do as we begin to unpack. We want to invite you, our listeners, to join us in this process. If you've got anything you'd like to ask in light of the sermon on Sunday, or even anything at all, please write us and let us know you're out there. You can connect via email. We're going to give you the address uh, info at redemptionmi.org. You can send us an email on Sunday or even very early on Monday if you've got something you want to ask, or you can send us a message on social media. It's at Redemption MI on Facebook or Redemption Church MI on Instagram. So one of the first questions that we had kind of come up with here to, to go a little deeper is you had made the statement, <coughs> the statement in your sermon, when some people hear gospel, they think law. Can you explain a little more what you mean by that? And what does that look like? Yeah. So biblically speaking, we, we, need to understand the value of both gospel and law, right? They, they both are beneficial, but we know the gospel literally is the good news of, of Jesus ultimately. Um, but the law is an amazing gift from the Lord that actually is given in the next chapter with the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And the, the purpose of the law, ultimately we know even through the epistles is to reveal our own sinfulness that we actually can't do it. We actually can't, obey, right? And that's why there are so many rules and so many laws in place. But I think often, I think, to be honest with you, I think this does speak to our culture a little bit. I think our culture is becoming less churched over time, but historically has been a very churched culture. When you think about Baldwin Street, at one point, I think in the Guinness Book of World Records had most churches on a street. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of just buildings out there to say, hey, we are a churched culture. Um, we've often been called the Bible Belt of the North, but I also feel like what's become true of our city is it's high in morality, right? And so the truth is like it's high in being moral. And the truth is being moral is a really good thing. It's just not a saving thing. And so we need to understand the difference of that. It's like, I want my kids to be moral and good, but the truth is being moral and good isn't gonna get me into heaven. Isn't gonna get me into eternity with Jesus. And so I think there's a tension that exists there that when we hear gospel, we often think law, meaning at the center of the gospel is the person, the work of Jesus. But what we do with when we hear gospel, we think law, meaning it's up to me. And we don't maybe believe that theologically, but practically, even for me as a pastor, I would say there are times where, man, God's going to be really upset at me because of what I just said or what I just did or, or, or whatever, right? Because we're all sinners when we fall short, right? So 
Therefore, man, I got to obey so that God is good with me. And I think the gospel reveals this good story of a, of a hero and a rescuer that is not dependent upon what you bring to the table, but solely on him alone. Mm, that's good. Justin, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think, I mean, just even building off what Josh says, the, the law is, is the revealer. And so it can act like that mirror um, to really give us a clear picture of, of who we are, what, what we've done. I think that that mirror actually can can drive us away at times because we actually do see the reality of our own hearts, uh, maybe the guilt and shame of what we have done, and it actually can uh, lie to us and 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 actually drive us away because because we're not we're not good enough for for Jesus. You know, we're, we're what he does see when he looks at us is that that guilt and shame. Uh, but at the same time, I think we can also get get stuck looking at ourselves in the mirror. And even maybe even liking what we see and thinking that we can do it on our own. Uh, when instead of both, either of those options, it's the revealer of, of our heart and our need and our desperation for someone other than ourselves. And so the law is, is that, that, that revealer that should drive us to the gospel, that should drive us to Jesus. I can't do it on my own. And the good news is, is that Jesus, with who he is and what he has done, removes that, that guilt and shame. Um, and it truly is the good news uh, found only in Jesus alone. So it kind of sounds to me like the litmus test for this might be uh, if you end up evaluating your relationship with God or your, your closeness with God based on how you've performed, if you, like you said, if you've said certain things, if you've acted in certain ways, if you've committed certain sins, uh, that if your, your closeness with God depends on that in your mind or in your heart, that's where a lot of people, when they hear gospel, are actually thinking law. Yeah, um, I think the, the most clear kind of picture of this is if you think like the storyline of the Bible you got Genesis three, um, where the first opportunity for uh, human beings to run away from the Lord and based on their decisions um, happens. And you see Adam and Eve make this decision uh, to disobey the Lord. And that's followed by shame and guilt and a felt separation between them and the Lord. Um, and we, we mentioned this to student ministry a couple of weeks ago, but I just love this picture of, um, if you connect the dots between, you know, say Genesis three, to you know, the middle towards the end of Matthew or the gospel stories, you see this picture of God doing something about that bridge or bridging that gap between um, what we've done and what he wants to do in relationship with us. And so you see Jesus on the cross being that, uh, that bridge that he's saying, hey, come back to me. Um, and that's uh, showing his love completely. It's just Jesus on the cross. Um, so that shame and guilt, that motivation to do life with God that was broken in Eden is restored in, in Jesus. Hmm. That's great. Uh, so it seems like then there's there's a reality uh, which we as Christians have a, a difficult time living in where, where even today uh, for me, like I'm 20, 25 years into my Christian walk. I need Jesus just as much today for the stuff I still wrestle with as I did before I knew him. Uh, and it's not just that God gives grace for me to be saved and then 
you know, as I, I work out my Christian life, uh, work out my sanctification with, with fear and trembling, that's my job. Right. It's still this constant dependence and admission that I'm still falling short. And that's what grace does, right? It helps us, it accomplishes justification, it accomplishes sanctification, it accomplishes glorification, which are really the three steps of our salvation process. And it's not that we don't have work and effort to put into our, our obedience, because we certainly do. It is a life of response to though, to the grace that he's, that he's extended to us, but he's the power throughout every one of those, those steps. Yeah. Well, that is certainly some good news. Uh, I feel weight lifted off my shoulders because it's easy to slip into that kind of mentality and just start evaluating your life based on how you're doing rather than based on the fact that Jesus died for me and I need him as much today as I did before. Uh, that also is a great segue into the second question. Josh, you brought up this progression uh, that grace leads to obedience, uh, leads to blessing. Maybe leads to is not the right mm -hmm. word. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about those three things and how they're related? Yeah, we see in Exodus 19, and we see this all over the Bible, to be honest. But like in verse four, Moses comes down the mountain and tells the people, um, God wants me to tell you this, Moses is saying, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up in eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So God is reminding them of his grace that, that he bore and he brought, right? It wasn't them who got themselves out of slavery. It was God and God alone who absolutely did that. But then we see in verse five, God calls for their obedience to listen to his voice and obey his covenant. And then we see the blessing come of all these identity statements. And so, so the truth is the biblical flow of grace, obedience, blessing is all over the Bible. In fact, I can turn to Exodus 20, the next chapter when God gives the 10 commandments. And in verse two, before he gives, before he gives the first commandment, God says this, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What is he doing? He's reminding them again of his grace of what it is that he's accomplished for them. Why does he have to do that? He just did it in the chapter before because he constantly does that because he knows so often we make our faith about our obedience versus his. And I, and I think this motivation here of his grace compels our response of obedience back to him, which results in significant blessing in our life, right? And so we see this all over the Bible, like this, this flow. And I think it's important uh, to, to, to process this and understand the theological implication of what it means that his grace actually leads the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I think maybe for some people, maybe even myself included, the confusion comes in uh, because you have that obedience piece, which seems pretty clear, but then you've got grace on one end and you've got blessing on the other. And maybe part of the issue is you can confuse those two uh, grace and blessing uh, and, and get the order screwed up. So I'm wondering, Danny or Justin, if one of you could maybe speak to that, the difference between grace and blessing uh, and just how to bring some clarity to this order. Well, I think even Josh mentioned it in, in his message where I think the two that we, we generally flip is grace and obedience. Instead of grace, obedience, blessing, it becomes obedience, grace, blessing. And almost that, that grace and blessing probably just even becomes a, a combination of, of, they're kind of viewed one and the same. And, and that's the result of, of my obedience. And I think, I think you, we look at scripture and there's some really hard ones to wrestle with the, the if then statements of scripture. Um, there, there's even one in this, this text that that's highlighted where it's, if you touch the mountain, if Israel touches the mountain, they will, they will die. They will be shot. I think the picture of that is, is with an, with an arrow. And so very good to get that image. Correct. That, it's not with a gun. It's with an arrow. <laughs> 
So there's, there's some reason alone in, in the fear and troubling. But if we shift grace and obedience, actually the, the if-then statement shifts as well. And so I, I, we teach our kids, obedience brings blessing, sin brings consequence. I, I think that is, an, an, is a good and right and accurate uh, view of, of scripture. Um, but that comes and is, even as a parent, is, is, is supposed to come on my part when I'm not failing as a dad in the environment of the grace I've already given to my children, the grace that they receive in our gospel-centered, our, what is hopefully a gospel-centered environment in our home. And so what grace, grace has been established here for Israel coming out of the Red Sea, what, what God has given them. But if it's viewed as obedience, grace, blessing, our if-then statement then is if obedience, then grace. If obedience, then blessing. When what has to be firmly established and what God continues to remind us that it is always grace first. It, it's, it's always, he's the initiator. He's the actor in our stories and we respond. And then how do we respond? Well, well, the, the aim is obedience and, and because blessing is a result of obedience. And, and that's, that's the way of, 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 a, of a joyful life, of, of a peaceful life. Those, those are things that we'll, we'll experience through our obedience. Um, but grace is the motivator because God is the actor and, and it's his grace that it's going to drive any obedience. And it's his grace that is going to continue to, to bring any blessing in our lives as well. Uh, we've got one more question about the sermon. Uh, Josh, you brought up kind of a, a, a longer study you had done during the week on how does God view you? And uh, that was really refreshing to me uh, just to kind of go back and, and remember scripturally, what does God say about me? How does God see me? Uh, because I think it centers us. I don't know if either of you or any of you had any further thoughts on that or just wanted to touch on some of the things already said in the sermon about how God sees us. Well, I think there's, man, there's so much to be said about how God views us, but I think based on the grace, obedience, blessing, we often have a lens that get, we believe God looks through and the lens is our obedience. Our obedience leads the way to how God will actually view us. But the reality of that is that is anti-gospel. And so when I think about a study of, of how God views me, I think on your own, you can go look at like Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and you'll see numerous identity statements that God, that God says about his people. Like one, and he says in verse three, like every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So like we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen in him. Uh, we are blameless and holy before him. Uh, in his love, we're predestined, we're adopted. We um, have his grace, we're beloved, he says. We've received redemption and forgiveness through his sins. We will receive an inheritance, it talks about in verse 11. So like Ephesians one, you see all these different things that formulate God's view of his own people that I think we often forget and put on the side because we look at what we're doing and how we're responding and how we're obeying to dictate how God should actually view me. And so I think the gospel freedom is found when we realize that God's view of me is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon a choice that he made about me back before the foundation of the world, right? So I think that formulates that plan and that idea, but specifically in Exodus 19, we see God share his view of his people and he shares three, three identity statements, right? My treasure's possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I think the one that sticks out to me the most, or I would say the holy nation really sticks out to me 
And you think about the context of the story, all they've known is slavery. They were born in slavery. Their grandparents were born in slavery. Their great, 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 everything has just been slavery, right? And so now God has thought about doing something different. In fact, the giving of the 10 commandments is a part of that. The law is a part of this different society that he's actually forming. And so it's a distinct set apart society uh, where everyone gets to be that knows him, gets to be a citizen in this new kingdom. And we all live in a way where we want King Jesus to get his way. Yeah, very good. Any other thoughts from from you, Justin or Danny? I just think it's a really, it's a real struggle for all of us to ask the question, how does God view me? Um, I think our culture speaks, our culture is very performance driven. And so what, what have you done for me lately? And, and that could be a mindset even in our relationships with the Lord until we realize the seasons of that are sinful, the seasons that are a struggle, the seasons that are filled with, with, with doubt and even wrestling with, with the Lord. And because we're, we're looking even in that lens, that, that mirror of the law, and we actually see how we have performed and we say, I can't, but then the gospel says, says Jesus can. And then we say, look what I, look what I did. But yet the gospel, Jesus life, death and resurrection just screams, look what I've done. And, and that's where, where we have to fight to, to rest and it's his word that's going to continually remind us. And so to hear those identity statements from Ephesians, to hear these identity statements out of Exodus, uh, th- those statements in God's word are gifts to us today to know how God truly sees us. Yeah. And I, I love the passage in, I believe it's second Corinthians uh, where Paul talks about taking every thought captive because there is a battle going on in our minds and, and our thoughts with what we've experienced from other people, what culture, how culture sees other people, uh, and then with God's truth about it. And it's just a good reminder that we do need to take every thought captive and learn to identify what is coming from God, what is coming from Scripture, uh, and how to reject those things that, that aren't because it does become confusing if you aren't careful about weeding out those those unbiblical thoughts. Um, I do want to move on because uh, just for time's sake, we have gone through an entire series called Divine Enigma and seen, uh, I think, Josh, in your words, these crazy moments when heaven touches earth. Uh, and I just wanted to see if there are any closing observations. What have we learned uh, going through all these stories? Uh, Josh and Justin, I know you guys have preached uh, during our, our main gathering uh, Danny, I know you've preached some of these services or sermons or, or messages uh, during the youth gatherings. Uh, I'd just love to, to glean some wisdom from you guys. What do we do with this as we move forward? I think one of the challenges of this kind of series is we get to open up the Bible to the Old Testament stories and see a God who's uh, moves in ridiculous ways to open up opportunity for people to know him or for him to demonstrate his power and his authority over his creation. But what does that mean for me today? It's cool that God did that, you know, thousands of years ago to, right, to form a people and do all these cool things. But how does that, what does that mean for me today in 2021? So Justin, I just want to, why don't you, can you wrestle with that for a minute? Like, how do we make this, how do we take this guy, this God who's so divine and holy and outside us and bring him into our human sphere of understanding 
And is this a God that'll move for us? Does he shake the mountains in our life? Will he meet me in the wilderness or in the fire, the spiritual fires that we face? Will he, you know, will he bring down the walls in my own life? Like, like what, what's your, what's your takeaway when we think about just this series in the life of our church? Every one of these stories has seemed otherworldly. Like they, it, it can't happen. It, it won't happen today in my, in my own life. And I've shared, shared before, even on, on our podcast, where part of that wrestling for me is the cross has changed that. The resurrection has, has changed that. Not, the, not that our God can't or won't and doesn't move in incredible ways around our, our world even right now. But I do believe the cross has changed that for us because the, the cross is the greater Red Sea. The, the cross is the greater Jericho. You know, walk, walk through all the stories that we've walked through. Yeah. And we're still driven by each of these stories to the cross, to Jesus. And so yet I still, I'm wrestling Lord. it's like, God, move. God, act. Even one of my prayers, even lately for myself and for others in my life is that God would be loud. Yeah, it's a still small voice at times, but, but can you just be loud now? Like, yeah. can you choose this moment in history, this time for us, for our church, for, for our people to, to just be really loud? And what, what could that look like a Red Sea moment in someone's life? Could it look like a, a, a Jericho walls coming down for, for our church's life? Um, and I think part of the wrestling for me is that I, I am definitely, if I'm a disciple and I'm hearing Jesus say, it's better for me to leave and give you my, my spirit. I'm absolutely like, no, it's not. It's better for you to be here now, physically, tangible, visible, audible. And I think that's what we're always wanting right now. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Is he? Cause I, I can't see it. it. It does always come back to the fact, even when we want to sing that song, that I don't see it. I don't hear you. You seem distant. And so in my wrestling of, okay, we live in a, a post-cross resurrection church. Is, is it the same power that rose Jesus from the grave that is in me through his spirit? Is, is that what we have to go to? Because certainly I think the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives is minimized because we're so looking, so wanting, so needing this, this event, this act of God outside of ourselves when the power that he's given is, is within through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I do believe in the wrestling where we need to land back in part is a gospel-driven yet spirit-driven and empowered, empowered life walking by the spirit yep. and not, not the flesh. It's, it's those daily battles mm -hmm. that, that we got to wrestle that we're wrestling with that. I think uh, uh, relying on the Holy spirit is, is going to be um, just an incredible piece for us. Totally true. Danny, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, this is one of those, those moments where I think Justin speaking right to it is, you have to understand, like you have to read your Bible. You have to understand what is happening in the scriptures. We're at this point right now where we're not seeing the Lord necessarily move like he used to, but that does not mean that he's not active and present. And actually where we're going, if you read the rest of the book is so much better 
Like Jesus is going to show up in power and glory and every knee will bow. Like it's going to be obvious. It's going to be fully on display sooner than we know. And right now we're in this moment where faith, the believing without necessarily seeing is this muscle that the Lord in love is actually growing in us. And that opportunity, because we're saved through faith by grace, right? And so God is using every opportunity in your life to strengthen that muscle because he wants you close to himself for eternity. And so I think it's so important to, you know, totally pray for God to show up, but understand that God's going to show up, like you said this this morning, dude, Josh, uh, through the church. He's going to show up through through us praying. He's going to show up through um, you fighting battles with sin and living as a new creation um, in a world that is broken um, and, and living into kind of that new life that you're going to experience for, for the rest of eternity. I think those are good takeaways. JP, as you wrap this up, thinking about the exp- just ways that God expresses himself today in our own lives. Cause he's, he does feel distant, but he's not distant. We have the spirit in us. Right. And that's the point of I think John 16. Couldn't get any closer. Can't, yeah. Can't get any closer is when he told the disciples I'm leaving cause I'm sending a helper. That's actually better. And then you think about the importance that we have is revelation from Genesis to revelation, the word that he spoke that he wants us to know. And we can give our life to this Bible and still only be scratching the surface of the beauty and the grace and the wonder of it all. But then you can think about um, not just the spirit and the word, but also the importance of the church. Like, listen, are you pressing into the church? And listen, the church is full of sinful people. So just join the club and acknowledge that, you know what? There might be times that you might get hurt. It's very possible. And, and probably will happen because even the leadership of our church is broken and sinful. And the truth is we get to pursue the glory of Jesus together. And so what an opportunity it is week after week to come together, to put ourselves under the word of the Lord, the power of the word from Genesis to revelation, but also to worship Jesus together and say, man, just pleading with him. My God, we need you week in and week out in our lives. Like we cannot do this life without you. And specifically we have a mission to live on as well, right? And so we have an avenue, a mission that he's given us in Matthew 28, the great commission to go and and share that by sharing his message, his gospel, baptizing people. Like there's so many things that we get to do to to see God move in in our life. And, And we look at the stories and we get discouraged because God didn't physically tear down something in our life or, or show up in a way that I want him to show up in um, or hold the sun still. Like that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? But what's even more ridiculous is God saving people for eternity through the cross and the empty tomb. And, and if that's you, if you have that relationship, that is huge for you. And it compels you forward in obedience to want to pursue the Lord and everything of your life. It gives perspective, I would say, and value and purpose to everything we do. Definitely. Uh, I love how everything comes back to the cross. Even all these these miracles of the Old Testament, it, it all just, it's it's summed up in Jesus. Uh, and us as a church is summed up in Jesus and our need for the cross. Uh, definitely some good things to take away from this. Well, we want to thank you for joining us here on The Post. If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to click follow, subscribe, or like on your podcasting app to make sure you get notified when we release an episode. Uh, Until next time, have a great week.